0: This is. I, I wanna just re- reflect a little bit because this, this week, um, four years ago this week, I spoke at IKAR for the first time. Um, it was my interview weekend. And, uh, and I know that because it's Parsha Tetzave, and that's the, the Parsha that I spoke on. And I have to say, when I, when I got the date, I looked at the calendar and I was a little disappointed that it wasn't a week later. Because you know, Parsha Kitisa—that's a Parsha. The gold, the sin of the golden calf, the smashing of the first tablets, the the making of the second tablets—big, meaningful, dramatic stuff. And instead, uh, the week I got uh, deals with the very intricate descriptions of the priestly garments. So I was like, ah. I mean, this is the high priest who oversaw this elaborate system of temple sacrifices. And it was meant to draw down the presence of God into the the mikdash, the holy place, the sanctuary. So his job was supremely important. And so his uniform is is given very careful treatment by the Torah. It's described in in great detail in this week's Parsha, the priestly garments, and we get a list. It consisted of a, a bejeweled breastplate and a sleeveless garment called the ephod, a robe a turban a golden crown um, a tunic and a sash all highly ornamented with jewels and and bells and embroidery you know very fancy but I'm like oh no what do I what do I talk about at ecar I want I want to get this job <laughs> I' talk about the uh, the, ephod, the the sleeveless garment I, I, so so what I, I did instead was I talked about beauty about about Jewish conceptions of beauty because the Torah does use that language to describe these garments. It says that these, these holy clothes, these big day Kodesh are for honor and beauty, litifaret, beauty, tiferet. So I spoke on Jewish conceptions of beauty and I left all the, the details out. And, uh, and I, guess it, I guess it worked out, <laughs> I'm here. Um, but, but all of those details, all those tiny little details those intricate details, they, they, they matter. They matter a great deal in our tradition. I mean, first of all, they're just in the Torah. And not only in the Torah, but they take up actually two full parshas, two readings. Um, so on some level, we have to take it seriously. Um, but they've also been taken very seriously, studied very, very carefully by Jewish scholars over the centuries, and uh, not always the scholars that you might expect. So there's a, there's a curious phenomenon that I, I, I wanna share with you. If you were wandering through a, a Jewish library, a Beit Midrash, and you got to the section of Jewish legal texts, commentaries on our, our codes of law, if you peruse those books, after a while, you may begin to take notice of a, a sort of a surprising pattern. For reasons unclear, many of the classic books of Jewish law take their titles from, of all things, the various pieces of the high priest's clothing. It's strange. They're among the, the greatest works of halakha, of legal commentary. We come across titles such as these. The urim v'tumim, the, the oracle stones. That's, that's Rev. Jonas, Jonas the, the, the chief dayan uh, judge of Prague. And this is, the, this is in the 1700s. A book called the Mishbatsot zahav, the golden embroidery by Rabbi Yosef Ben Meir Tomim, in Galicia. Um, the Ktsos, the Ktsos achoshen, the edges of the breastplate, by Rabbi Arya Leib HaKohen Heller. And we, this is a famous work. We would just refer to it as the Ktsos. He was the edges, the edges of the breastplate. And, and I, you, you can keep tracing this. I even found in the 20th century, a book called Cheshev HaEphod, the design of the Ephod, that sleeveless garment, by Rabbi Chanoch David Padwa, who was uh, the head of a yeshiva in, in London. And you could go on and on, the Tzitz Eliezer, the Siste Cohen, what's, what's going on here? It's like, it's not about the, the priestly garments at all, it's just these books of, of, of law, these books of, of, of the most intricate law all take their titles from these, these beautiful garments. So one answer, one obvious answer is that it's a trend, almost like a, like a meme, that got started by one guy and one book. And th- that's the, the famous legal code that first took its name from the priestly garments and probably inspired those who followed is the Arba Arbaturim, the f- it, literally the four columns by Rabbi Yaakov ben, ben Asher. And that's very old, that's, that's uh, 14th century. And the title, the four columns, refers to the four rows of stones on the breastplate. And it indicates the four volumes of the book itself. But other than the numbering parallel, why, why would Rabbi Yaakov, we, we, we now call him the Baal the master of, of the columns, the Baal HaTurim, why would the Baal HaTurim have decided that the breastplate was worthy of, of invocation when he chose a name for his book of laws? And why did so many others then follow in his footsteps in referencing the clothing of the priest? So the clue to this custom, I think, can be found in the name that he gave to the final of his four volumes, the one that deals most directly with financial transactions and and torts damages, basically civil law. And the name of that volume is Choshen Mishpat or the breastplate of judgment. Now, the whole work is named for the design of the breastplate, but this section is called Choshen Mishpat, the breastplate of judgment because that is how the breastplate is actually described in the Torah when its design is first laid out. Vasita choshen mishpat, you shall make a breastplate of judgment, mishpat, a work of design made like the work of the ephod, with gold, blue, purple, crimson, and fine twisted linen. Now that's surprising. That's a surprising appearance of the word judgment, mishpat, all of a sudden, there in the middle of all of this sort of regal holy finery, what what does it mean? This Hebrew word mishpat means judgment, or we often translate it as justice, but it can also mean order, like a like a just social order. So maybe it just indicates that the jewels of the breastplate will be ordered in a certain way. Or it may refer refer specifically to those urim vetumim, those oracle stones, which were placed inside the breastplate and which we later find were consulted for divine guidance. It's a little strange and doesn't sound so Jewish. We're not exactly uh, sure how this mysterious process is supposed to have worked, but some commentators have suggested that the, these stones would light up and, and flash a, co- a code to the priest who would then communicate the message to the people, the judgment to the people. But in any case, at the, here in Parsha Tetzave, at the end of the instructions for making the breastplate, we read this. Inside the breastplate of judgment, You shall place the Urim Vatumim so that they are over Aaron's heart when he comes before the Lord. So Aaron shall carry the judgment of the children of Israel upon his heart before the Lord always. So that's the connection that the priest and the breastplate in particular have with judgment and maybe justice and maybe by extension then with law. But I actually think that there's a much more basic and obvious reason that we find this legal sounding word, this justice word, so prominently placed here in the middle of all these, these holy objects, literally literally at the heart of the sanctuary. And now, this is something that I, I have found myself saying Met several times over the years here at IKAR, but I've come to believe it more and more strongly, and in part, because I am here at IKAR. So I wanna say it clearly and emphatically today. I, I believe that one of the great projects of the Torah is to find a way to combine the two supreme values of justice and holiness, Mishpat and kedusha. We can see this happening with the very fact of Leviticus, the third book of the Torah we'll get to next, a whole book of the Torah that is devoted to priestly and temple rituals, a book about holy spaces and holy experiences. And this comes right on the heels of Exodus, which is a book that is fundamentally dedicated to the principle of justice, liberation from an oppressive regime, followed by the revelation of a new ethical system this religion, it seems, by the time we're standing at Mount Sinai, this religion is all about justice. And then comes Leviticus and says, "Uh, wait, wait, no, there's this other great value, which is holiness, kedusha, sanctity, transcendence, closeness to God. And that's a crucial piece of this religious tradition as well. So which is it, we might ask, justice or holiness? Because you could have a religion that was all about Justice about treating people well. Kindness, fairness, dignity. Or you could have a religion that was all about the spiritual experience, the divine encounter, the mystic union with the great oneness. I, I remember actually in rabbinical school, I felt like there were, there were two kinds of guys. It was, it was all guys. Um, there were the justice guys, and there were the God guys. right? The guys who were becoming rabbis because they wanted to change the world for the better. And then the guys who are becoming rabbis because they were, they were searching for God. And this makes sense, really. These are, these are two classic religious archetypes. But I think the Torah is telling us, again and again in ways obvious and subtle, that both types are wrong, or, or at least that both have room to grow. Because the Torah's vision isn't one or the other, it's both. The Torah's quest is for a life infused with both holiness and justice, or more accurately, maybe the Torah is interested in a justice that is infused with holiness or a holiness that is infused with justice. And that is why we find Mishpat, the word justice, right here at the center of the holiest space in Jewish life because the priest is one of those figures who's likely to become a God guy. It's all about God. It's all about the spiritual experience. And the Torah is saying, no, don't forget about justice. And then the book of Leviticus is saying to the book of Exodus, yeah, congratulations, you figured out that we have to build a more just society, but don't forget about God. And, it, and, and we don't even have to wait till the book of Leviticus. It, it's already happening here in the book of, Ed, of Exodus. The sanctuary begins, is first described right here in the book of Exodus. Right. That is to say that holiness is embedded in the book of justice and then justice is embedded in the in the structure of holiness and on and on and on like a kind of infinite regression holiness in justice and justice and holiness and holiness. In... And that I think is also what these authors are, are trying to communicate when they when they titled their books on civil law with these holy words that describe the most sacred thing. And you know, this isn't just a, a both and situation because these happen to be the top two values. So got to get them both in there. It's that holiness without justice is not holy at all. We we know about corrupt priests, right? In, in, in the time of, the, of, 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 of old and in our own time, corrupt priests cannot possibly, cannot possibly bring holiness to the people. Even mean priests can't possibly carry out their holy duties. And justice without a grounding in holiness in some eternal transcendent reality is no justice at all. It's just political theory, just one group's opinion of how things should go. And I think that there's an easy easy tendency for religion to get this balance wrong, to focus entirely on God with no concern for the world around or to be so immersed in in the work of the world that we've lost touch with the work of our souls. So one of the reasons I feel so lucky to be at ICAR, to have gotten the job, is that we are a community striving for both. We're fully devoted to the religious experience, the prayer experience, the divine experience. But we are also just as fully devoted to the work of activism, of organizing, of changing the world around us for the better. And, And it isn't also, it's both, it's both at once. That's actually what I said in my my drasha that that day four years ago, that I was so drawn to the way you at IKAR had created this this spiritual community, which was also an ethical community. And I still think that's true. And and I'm proud now to be a part of it. But I spoke that day about, about beauty, about Tiferet. And I want to close by saying that actually, in a way, that too was right on topic for today. Because that word for beauty, Tiferet, in the Kabbalistic framework is about a beauty that comes from harmonizing values that appear to be opposites, like kindness and strength, like love and judgment. Justice and holiness sometimes appear to us as opposing values, but the Torah wants us to think about it otherwise. The Torah is telling us that when we combine the two, if we combine the two, if we can create a life, a society centered around a just holiness, or a holy justice, then that will be a beautiful thing indeed. Shabbat shalom.